The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Is there anyone who's new to IMC who's here for the first time? At home? Welcome. Yeah. Um, sometimes in these sittings in the morning they're silent and sometimes we offer a guided meditation. So, um, uh, but yeah, just felt this morning that it can, maybe it would be nice to have a guided meditation. Um, so, the, one of the principles of meditation practice or dharma practice is that what we experience in meditation or what we discover sitting on the cushion or in a chair um, in some way influences our life off the cushion or outside of this building. You know, if we were just, if meditation were just something that you know, had this really narrow um, application of saying, you know, um, maybe it'd be okay or be kind of interesting. You know, it's always interesting to learn a skill and learn how to do something. Um, But one of the wonderful things about meditation practice, dharma practice, and the frightening things in, in a way is that it has implications for the rest of our life. And, um, and the idea is that what we learn, the way we learn to be with present for ourselves, for our experience, to be with what's difficult, um, to develop patience and love and care and understanding uh, for our own experience, that affects the rest of our life. That affects how we relate to all these different people in our lives, how we relate in our work, in our um, uh, you know, school, work, relationships, everything, um, eventually uh, begins to be affected by awareness, meditation practice. Um, what I thought to share today were just a few uh, reflections on um, working, on looking at our relationship with money. Um, it's, it feels a little, I think money is one of, is, can be a little bit of a taboo thing to talk about. Um, and part of the reason it's in my mind is that this coming weekend, I'm going to be co-teaching a meditation retreat at our retreat center in Santa Cruz for people in their 20s and 30s. And the title of the retreat is Sex race, money, dharma. And, (laughs) you know, trying to bring in um, some of the topics that are, you know, important parts of our life, um, but that maybe aren't talked about so directly or explicitly. And... um, and, and for me, what, what's, what's very moving about these topics is that they are areas of our life that, that can bring a lot of suffering, you know. I mean, who has not suffered around issues of sex? Of, you know, who has not suffered around issues of money or race, or, you know, in, in, in various ways? So, um, and, and I think one of the intriguing 
possibilities of meditation practice is that it can help us to come into a new relationship to these, uh, maybe a healthier relationship. So rather than being a source of suffering, um, could, could my relationship with money, for example, you know, it's just one example that I thought to talk about this morning, or sex and sexuality or, or, or race, could that be a source of well-being? Could that be a source of happiness? Could that be a source of, um, could there be a sacred relationship? What is it to ha- come into a sacred relationship with money? You know, and, and just saying that, saying those words, I, I, I think that it is an unusual way of thinking about something like money. Um, in our larger culture, the um, some people might say our our secular religion is money. You know, religion is is sort of making money, capitalism, in the in a kind of larger way. Um, money is something that affects every single person. You know, um, and maybe some of the messages that we might get in the media or um, you know. In, in growing up or something is that the maybe the point of life is to is to make a lot of money or um, certainly if we want to be happy you know and if we want to have a good life or a great life we've got to have a lot right and so there's some messages like that about money um, and there's some you know obviously there's some truth to that if we uh, if we don't have enough, if we can't live and support ourselves and eat, and um, life becomes very difficult, you know. So there's so there's that, and then there's sometimes messages that we might get in the spiritual community or, you know, Dharma scene, meditation scene, is that money is um, not so good. You know, there's something. Unpure about money, or there's something dirty about money, or to be concerned with money or focused on money is um, the opposite of where we're trying to go in terms of um, spiritual freedom, spiritual happiness. Um, You know, there's always interesting studies about money and. I remember one that was, I don't remember the exact amount, but the the conclusion of the study was that above a certain amount of money, income was not uh, correlated with happiness, you know. And you might get the idea that it's just a totally linear thing, right? You know, like, the more you have, the more happy you will be. And it just kind of goes up into the sky. but this study was sort of challenging that. It was saying that after, after a person can kind of meet their needs and has enough to sort of live in a, in a comfortable, average way, um, having more doesn't necessarily make us happy. Um, I think this area is especially, I mean, it's an especially um, interesting topic for this area, you know, because there's so much wealth. Um, in Silicon Valley, and there's a lot of inequality as well. Um, but 
you know, just, just to look at that assumption, if we have that assumption that more, more is better, more is, more will make us happier. Um, just thought was very interesting. And then another study about money that I, that I was intrigued with was, and I'm, I don't remember all the details about it, but it basically, um, it had a group of people that it was studying and some people it gave them lots of resources and lots of money and other people didn't have that much. And then they were kind of examining, you know, just in this kind of make-believe virtual society that they created. And what they, what they found was that the people who were given more um, started to reduce their scores on empathy and on, on caring and on being able to um, sort of put themselves in the shoes of the people. I mean, we're, I mean, it's all just pretend, right? Of the people who didn't have very much. And it was so f- fascinating to me because it, the, it was what they realized was that the people who were just, I mean, this was totally random, right? You know, it's like if everybody here would be like, okay, this side of the room has X and this side of the room doesn't. The people who were given X um, beca- came to believe that they deserved it. You know, <laughs> it, was just, it was so interesting, you know, it's like that they deserved it and that it wasn't based on randomness or luck, but it was based on, you know, something to do with them, that they, they deserved it. And then their, their um, responses were sort of reflecting that. So anyway, it was just an interesting. Um, so how many of us who have been blessed, who have been lucky, who have been fortunate, you know, how do we understand that? Is it, is it the roll of, of dice? Is it, um, is it all due to my own, you know, um, skill and uh, wisdom? And, you know, we, we didn't choose the family that we were born into. We didn't choose where we grew up. We didn't, you know, there's a lot of things we didn't choose. And maybe there are a lot of things we did choose and a lot of decisions we did make. So it's just an interesting um, an interesting exploration from the Buddhist side or the Dharma side. Uh, my understanding is that money itself is something that's more neutral. You know, it's not like um, money is a bad thing and it's something tainted. And if you have it, it's 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 bad. Or, or on the other hand, you know, if you if you don't have it, you're somehow cursed or something like that. The idea is that money is um, a tool and maybe something a little bit like circulate, you know, like the blood that runs through a body. You know, it's something that, that circulates. And um, so in the Buddha's time, the Buddha couldn't have taught <coughs> and done what he did without the support and the generosity of wealthy lay people. You know, in the same way, I don't think we could have, you know, this beautiful building and all the different things that we have in in our Dharma center without the support of people who have money, who work and who, you know, have wealth and are generous with money. So rather than being something that in itself is good or bad, is... um, it's more about 
money as sort of um, potential and energy and how is it how do we use it how do we relate to it how do we use it um, this for, from the from the dharma's point of view maybe this is what determines whether this is a good or bad thing um, do i use it for my own happiness and for the welfare of others or do i use it to i don't know buy a lot of weapons or a lot of you know drugs or you know i don't i don't know what's a bad thing um so um I um, I think we can get the idea from looking at um, the way Buddhist monks and nuns live that somehow that is um, a better way to live or an ideal way to live. For those of you who are not familiar with that, um, in the tradition of meditation that we practice in Southeast Asia, monks and nuns are renunciates, so they don't, they don't touch money, you know. They don't. They don't have an income. They don't have a regular job the way we might. And their their role is to meditate and to teach and to practice. And they are totally supported by um, the lay people, the regular people who uh, they can't even keep food overnight. So every day they go out and walk, and people put food into their bowls, you know, and. Um, and it's beautiful. I mean, it, it's an example of a way of living in that's so simple. That's so, um, in a way, it's so vulnerable. It's like if if their practice is not inspiring people, us, to give, then they won't eat that day, you know. And so it's this amazing way of living, and. But I don't think the idea for, from, I, th- I don't think the lesson from seeing the way monks and nuns live is that everyone should live that way. You know, in fact, if everyone lived that way, well, it <laughs> wouldn't really work. <laughs> because who would, who would be making the money to, 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 or growing the food to, to donate it and who would be supporting? So it's, um, it's a life of radical simplicity that a few of us might be called to do. But um, I don't think there's a sense that that is in some way what everyone should do. That's better. But it's, it's, what I like about it is it's an acknowledgement that we need in order to have people who voluntarily live a life of this sort of inner or spiritual you know, renunciation and poverty. We need people who can support them and take care of them. So there's a place... You know, what it says to me is there's a place for money. There's a place for wealth um, and for the wise use of that and to come into wise relationship with it. Um, I was on a long meditation retreat in 2008, um, in the fall of 2008. And if some of you might remember, that was the time when the stock market crashed and the financial crisis and and it was a very strange and valuable time to be on retreat but it, I got to look at all of my fear and all of my identification with 
um, you know, uh, you know, with money, with security. Um, at that time, I don't know if you remember, some people were saying, well, maybe the U.S. dollar will collapse, you know. And then I was like, well, yeah, you know, what's the dollar? It's, it's just something that we agree on. I mean, it's just pieces of paper, right? They don't in themselves have, have any particular value. It's just something that we all agree on. So it, it's sort of, it was like the emperor having no clothes and, you know, and starting to see, wow, money itself is just a convention. It's just something that we agree on. And if we stop agreeing that it's worth anything, well, maybe it's not worth anything. And one of the great examples of this is, is in Brazil, where um, I don't know the whole economic history of Brazil, but they've suffered through years and years of, of bouts with very high inflation. And, you know, inflation is when the money in your hand is worth less and less and less and less and less. So, you know, if it, if it costs us, you know, $3 to buy a dozen eggs, um, you, then the next day you go into the supermarket and actually it costs $30 to buy a, a dozen eggs or $300 because the money is, is worth less and less. So Brazil was dealing with this. And at some point they said, okay, inflation was so crazy and the money was getting so worthless. They said, we're going to cancel all the money and just people don't think it's worth anything anyway. So we're just going to cancel it and we're going to create a new money. And this money is real. And in order to you know, convince people that it was real, they called it the real. <laughs> and it worked. It worked. You know, they, they kind of, people exchanged their money for this real money. And then everyone sort of reset. And, okay, okay, we agree. This is real now. And then start using it. And such okay, so what is money? You know, money is something, it's, it's in a way, it's, it's an abstraction you know, it's not anything that has value in itself, but it has value in what we believe and what we share and what we... So I think understanding this, we can see the ways that money can be a symbol for many things. And I think this is where, I think, in, in meditation practice, in Dharma practice, what what are, what are the... What is my relationship to money, and what, um, yeah, sort of like what are the, what are the symbols that are you know for some people, money is um, status, you know, money is or money is security, or money is power, or money is freedom, money is, you know. So what is my relationship to money? What does it mean to um, come into uh, a sort of um, conscious relationship to money. How do I understand it? How do I use it? Um, and I think maybe from the point of view of, of pr- mindfulness practice, um, we could say how I use money is is one reflection of what I value, what I care about. You know, and I may think that I really, you know, I just, I'm so, you know, pick something, whatever, the environment or, um, 
global health issues or, you know, whatever. And I think I really care about this. This is really important to me. Um, And then I might look and see how much of my own resources in a given year do I use to support this what I, what, I, what I think I care about, what I say I care about. And if, if I'm honest with myself and I look, it's been interesting to me to see, oh, you know, uh, I think that I value X, Y, and Z, but actually how I'm spending money and how I'm spending time and how I, you know, maybe doesn't reflect so much what, what, I, what I think I care about, what I value. So, so what is it to... to um, Use, use money to express our values. I mean, I think that's one way of practicing with this. Um, and I, and I, I like this idea of money as the, the sort of the blood that circulates in a body. And then in this way of thinking, you know, maybe the whole human, uh, the whole universe is one human body, you know? And then what, what is it for the, for the money that passes through me, that passes through my system and my hands? Is there a way that I could somehow infuse that blood with nutrients or with goodness or with, you know, nourishment or vitamins? I don't know. Um, What would that look like? Well, you know, one thing I sometimes think about is how am I when I spend money? How am I when I pay bills? Do I grumble and sort of, oh God, I've got a pile of bills? Or is there a sort of sense of gratitude with me? Is there a, um, I don't know, just appreciation for, for, I don't know, maybe it's a little silly to think about, should I, should I feel appreciation when I pay my electric bill or my um, car insurance or something? But um, I think, I mean, I, maybe this is just a, this is just a something to talk about or to discuss is how we, our, our mind state when we spend money sort of affects that money, you know, or sort of affects the sort of feeling, the energy. And so um, I've taken on the, pra- I mean, we don't write checks so much anymore, I think in our, in our culture, but when I write a check, it's almost like a, having like a mindfulness bell and it's an opportunity to just really, you know, okay, you know, and, and just, um, I've, I've even know people who on the memo will sometimes draw a little nice picture or write thank you or, or something. And of course, you know, if, if, it, if, it's a, if it's a gift or someone, that maybe that comes naturally. But what about for all the things that support our life that we pay when we buy our groceries, when we pay the, um, someone who's helped us in our home or a tuition for our kid's school so yeah, something about letting, when we spend money, letting that be a mindfulness bell, letting that be a moment where we become aware and, and just reflect on, okay, what is, uh, what, is, what is the feeling right now? What is my relationship with this? 
um, often in um, when we talk about money in the context of Dharma and spiritual practice, it's usually paired with um, talks about generosity. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this because, um, well, it's a good thing to talk about, but it's, it's considered um, the quality of generosity, the quality of giving ourselves is considered the foundational practice, even before mindfulness, even before meditation, um, cultivating a heart that is open and that is generous is considered so foundational and so important. And not, maybe not for what we would think, not because it helps other people. Of course it does. Of course it can. But because it's so good for the person who is generous. It's so good for the person. It benefits myself to be giving um, the most. Um, So for our own well-being, for our own spiritual practice, it's said that generosity is, you know, it's the beginning and it's the end. It's the, it's the, it's where spiritual practice starts and maybe at the end of the path, I don't know, it's, it's the natural expression of, of our heart. And generosity is much bigger than just money. You know, generosity, um, what is it to be giving with our, our attention? you know, with our time, with our care, with our concern. Um, it's, you know, so it's, it's this wonderful quality of the heart that, and, and yes, and it's true with money, it's, it's, it's one, of the, one of the ways that we can bring our mindfulness practice maybe into our relationship with money is to um, give away a little bit of money and then see what it does to us, see how it feels. I remember Gil, who's you know the, the, the primary teacher here, he sometimes would give us the experiment to take $20 and give it to someone this week, someone we don't know, someone who's not expecting it, someone who, you know, that we're not in a relationship where, where, where they would would make sense to give them $20. Maybe it's someone who's, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's someone we, we encounter on the street or maybe it's, you know, but it's, a, what does it do? What does it do for us to, to give? And what does it feel like? And what does it bring up? You know, sometimes it can bring up feelings of, um, I don't have enough, you know, and, and that fear of coming, of not, of not having enough. And even if it's not, I mean, it, it might be very rational. And we might really, and $20 might be a stretch. So maybe it's $1, you know, maybe it's $5. Um, but then sometimes we might look and we're like, this is, this is not rational. You know, I do have enough. Or I do have enough where I'm not going to miss this $5 or $10. But still, there's something in the heart that contracts and this fear of, I need to hold on to whatever I have because who knows, it might not be enough one day. And you know, what is the conditioning that we grew up with around money? 
you know, um, in our families. Um, so there's, all of this is, comes into practice, is a part of who we are. Um, and so, 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 so generosity and cultivating that in, in our relationship with money. And then something about ethics, something about not harming. What is it to um, use whatever money I have, whatever resources I have in a way that doesn't harm others? Um, in a way that follows these, you know, the ethics, the basic ethics of not hurting others, not harming, uh, not lying. Um, and this is, this is complicated. This can be complicated. Um, if I work in sales, you know, um, and I tell you that my product is the best one, you know, is it true? Is it, you know, is it, is it, maybe it's true. Maybe I believe it's true. Um, but it's, it's just, it's an interesting exploration about where, what are the areas of, of ethics that get complicated for me around money? Um, And um, maybe just to, to end with this idea about wealth, money and wealth. Um, one, one model of what it is to be wealthy is for a person, you know, maybe, I don't know who comes into our mind, Bill Gates or someone, or, you know, now it's Mark Zuckerberg or some of the Facebook founder or someone who has so much resources that they can basically do whatever they want and they can they can they have they have the freedom to to live and um you know um make happen whatever they want to happen and we might have this idea of that's what it means to be truly wealthy is to have that kind of freedom. And um, so that's one model of, of, of wealth and one model of freedom. And then I think from this point of view of spiritual practice and spiritual life and meditation and mindfulness and insight, it's that wealth might not have to do so much with our material resources, but in our own inner sense of contentment our own inner sense of ease, um, which may or may not correspond to material wealth. You know, I know people who are extremely wealthy, but in a, in a sort of dollars way of counting, but um, are not content, you know, are not, don't have that inner sense of, of ease and, and well-being. And there's a lot of looking over my shoulder to see how much is my money rising or falling and how much does that person have. And if someone has more than me, how can I really be happier? How can I really be wealthy? You know, versus, um, you know, people who, who may not have, have so much money but, um, but live in a simple way and they're, and they're, they're sort of content and, and um, uh, 
Yeah, so, so one model is to have whatever possible desire I have be able to be um, fulfilled. And the other model is to maybe not have so many desires, have few, have few desires, and whatever, whatever that means, um, and have this kind of inner kind of wealth, inner contentment, where um, I, you know, um, I'm not caught in the comparing mind and um, my own sense of well-being and my sense of, of, of value is not tied to material things. You know, I mean, that's, that's that phrase that always drives me crazy, like, what is your net worth? You know, I mean, how, how, how much clearly could we say that how much money you have is how much, you know, how valuable you are as a person, you know, and what's your net worth? And, the, and, and then, you know, in, when the stock market crashes or these financial cycles happen, um, people do kill themselves, people to commit suicide because of their, you know, of, of losing money. And um, so, so it's a, it's 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 an it's a part of our life that is um, we have to deal with money we have to be in the world of of money and to look at how we relate to it and is there a way that not only I don't suffer so much around it but actually it brings me joy when I give money and spend money and let money flow through me not just in donations but also just supporting all the people who help my life work. Um, that gives me a lot of happiness. You know, it feels like there's something, there's something sacred in that. There's something, you know, making, um, making, making, making this whole thing work. Um, the teachers at my daughter's school, I, I really appreciate them. I, um, you know, knowing that somehow indirectly that I pay their salary or they, they're able to live their life and support their life in doing this beautiful teaching and service to my children. I just, you know, it feels so good. Um, so, um, I have this written down of someone made this joke that I saw of the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. <laughs> Sorry. <This> is a, um, <laughs> Um, you know I offer this as just a way of, of just starting some conversation and, and uh, inviting exploration in this area and um, with the hope that um, yeah I don't know that we can um, not suffer so much around this and talk about it more and um, and 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 let whatever money that we are fortunate enough to 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 have flow through us um, be you know be a source of goodness and let it flow out into the world with 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 goodness. You know, I remember that line of Steve Jobs that like his goal was never to be the the richest guy in the cemetery. You know. <laughs> You know, it's like, you think about it. It's like, 
you can you can only live you know what a hundred years maybe who knows maybe by the time some of us are a hundred maybe people will be living longer but there's a natural limit to uh, things and what are we what just in the way that our uh, our relationships reverberate out into the universe and what we do and what we a- think and how we act how we how we use money reverberates out into the universe and it's it's another way uh, to um, express our our heart and what we care about so anyway I offer that for your reflection I hope it wasn't too uh, meandering um, and I'm curious to what do you what do you think about this topic of money and finance money and, and spiritual practice and um, do they go together? Do they not go together? Is it an area of stress? Is it an area of um, area we don't want to look at? You know, I think for a lot of us, where money can be confusing or scary, or so we just ignore it. We just deal with it as much as we need to, but we kind of, you know, um, so it stays in a way. It stays unconscious in our. In our I have a question and a comment. The question is, why don't you do a retreat on uh, sex, money, and race for older folks so that uh, we, uh, us older folks can come? So, so yeah. Okay. yeah. It's not fair. We can't come to the <laughs> <story>. okay. <laughs> okay. I was r- reminded, um, there's a song that the Beatles performed in concert before they were famous uh, when they were a young, struggling band that few people know about called give me money that's what i want and then after they became famous they recorded a much better known song called can't buy me love <laughs> money can, money can't buy me love so that kind of illustrates the point you're making yeah yeah great <laughs> hi so i just push it one more time it's working. Hi. So I have a very confusing question slash comment. So I think in this society, especially in Silicon Valley, well, most people have enough by in terms of needs, if we go strictly by needs, especially comparing to the rest of the world. So if possible, I'd like to land this question on a topic of consumption, and particularly on women's issue. Luckily, there's tons of women here. Specifically, Woman, and I cannot be the only one over shopping clothes, <laughs> right? But I just want to um, dig deep, deeper in a sense as women grow up, there is tremendous pressure to look certain way mm. or present yourself certain way. I don't believe that women overshop because of vanity or whatever. I think women genuinely overshop because they want to connect with other people. We want to respond to other people in a certain way, and we want people to care about us, right? So again, bringing it back to Buddhism, it's fundamentally about trained mind, among other things. So I understand when you're in balanced state, right off the meditation cushion, nobody ever shops, nobody ever spends. 
But in daily life, as a matter of fact, you know, sometimes, at times, not every day, but sometimes, you know, if you're feeling happy, you buy something. If you're feeling upset and something is not working, you say, okay, well, I'm going to... Well, you don't think, but you act as you're going to get something, and things are going to be better. So can we land that in a practical application? Like how to stop overspending when your genuine desire mm. to connect with people is mm. a valuable, good thing, and if you have clarity of mind, you don't do it, but, you know, anybody enlightened in this room? <laughs> so Thank any you. thoughts would be Thank appreciated. Sure. So question about uh, consumption, overconsumption. I mean, it's, it's a great, it's a great, I mean, there's so many different directions to go with this, but um, one of the, th one thing that was, I was just reminded of is that in our culture, one of the ways that we, just spend time and connect with people is in shopping, you know. And it's in, it's interesting that it's um, like like you say it may be um, if we had other you know outlets of of of, of ways. To, I mean, I think this place is is one example of that. But I mean, there's if we had other ways of connecting to people with with others then maybe there wouldn't be so much of, of shopping or consumption. Um, I think also um, of this story with this um, wonderful Indian woman teacher uh, who was called Deepama. And she was not a monk or a nun, but she you know, lived extremely simply. And she lived in Calcutta. And so, you know, very kind of poor... Um, a, a lot of poverty there, and 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 she had you know very very simple life. Lived in one room and wore white, and she had she had daughters and from uh, from her sort of uh, family. But she was older, and I remember she there was one story about that she came to Massachusetts to teach, and I mean this is a person who literally you know her possessions is like one scarf, one pair of shoes, one thing. That, and she was staying in someone's house and she looked at all the shoes that were at the front door, you know, and how sometimes we keep our shoes in this cabinet or whatever, or the, you know, all the shoes. And there was just this feeling she had of, oh, so much suffering, you know, so much suffering around um, this type of abundance, but that that maybe is complicating our life and maybe is standing in for something else and maybe is some kind of reflection of our minds, you know, and just this kind of compassion. That, and I don't remember if she said so, how it kind of came out, but I always think about that when I look at all the shoes in my house, <laughs> you know, over the front door. And it's like, you know, um, and it's not saying that it's bad to have a lot of clothes or this or that. But it's an interesting question of why when I have this many shoes and this many sweaters, do I go out and look for a pair of shoes or look or, or feel like I want to buy, a, you know, something? You know, it's kind of, I know I could probably live the rest of my life wearing the clothes I have. Why is there that, um, what, is that what is that about? What is that... You know, and I think maybe for, if, you know, for those of us who are, um, 
feel like we might consume too much and want to consume less? It's, a, it's an interesting question and it's an interesting exploration. And, you know, and some people I know do something like, say, for the next month or the next six months, I'm not going to buy any item of clothes. Or if there's something I buy, I'm going to make sure that I remove one thing from my life. You know, and recently I did a thing and, and, and donated a lot of, a lot of things, but especially clothes, and it felt so good. If it's just was so light, you know, I. Those of you who are near San Francisco, there's a place, um, uh, St. Vincent's, and they have a drive-up thing. It's it's in the Tenderloin, but you just drive up, and they've got guys out there wearing red, I think, and they will just take the clothes and take whatever you, you give. And um, so, so I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know the answer. I don't. I mean, I suspect it has something to do with, like I was saying, the sort of idea of self-worth being connected to money. Sometimes self-worth is also connected to our image or our um, identity. In, in society, and identity is often connected to what we what we wear and what we spend and what we. Um, I just, just one more story. When I was th- one of the first meditation retreats I did, I was still I was working at the time at Google, and you know in the in a sort of very um, in the kind of business world, and so I was sitting in the seven day meditation retreat, and one of the images that kept coming up for me was. Um, this pair of shoes was coming into my mind. And it was a pair of shoes that I had recently purchased for, because I was about to move to London. And, um, but the image that kept coming up was me wearing these shoes and, and how other people were seeing me, how other people were so delighted by seeing me in these shoes or so they thought I was so great or something, you know, or whatever, I don't know what it was in my mind. But I remember this kept coming up. This image kept coming up. And I think, this is so strange. You know, what a, for me, it was like a sign of that there was this sense of disconnection with myself. I was seeing myself through how I wanted other people to see me, mediated by a pair of shoes. <laughs> you know, it's like, and it was like, oh, okay, this is, this goes deep, you know, this is deep in there, you know, for whatever reason. And it was just a chance to sort of notice um, this way that I was relating to myself and see if I could in, in some way get, get more connected or get more c- close to my own experience of myself, my own experience of my life. And then through meditation and learning to do that, I noticed that a lot of that other stuff faded, started to fade. You know, maybe not completely, but there's like the, the, the more connected and um, aware I could be of my own experience, then the less, the less you know, energy that it seemed to, of, of how, of, of things that didn't seem so important, that seemed, you know, um, uh, more material or more something like that. So anyway, it's, uh, thank you. 
Thanks so much. That's such a lovely answer because I think at the crux of it, is whether for women or for men, when at least I get into those, those moods, I see myself through the eyes of imaginative external observer. I think this is, yeah. this, is, this is very true. And of course, it doesn't deliver with what's happened inside. It has no potential. Right. It's outside. Right. Thank you so yeah. much. It's Thank lovely. You. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Follow up to that. Uh, when I was a student at Pacific School of Religion in one of my classes, we had to read an uh, article called Shopping Malls as Sacred Space. And it took all these theories that various anthropologists had developed about what constitutes sacred space and then applied them to shopping malls. I, I don't remember much about uh, what the article said, but I remember thinking... What does our world come to where this is even a question? Yeah, thank you, Gil, for the talk. Um, <laughs> no, I know it's a joke. Um, yeah, it was a very, very good talk, and I appreciate some of the comments that people have made just around sort of... Um, the social conditioning around our needs and what what we want to consume and the link between sort of insecurity and compulsive spending and um, the way that in this society in some ways capitalist society we are sort of objects as as consumers we are objects to be manipulated um, you know it's similar to sex like women are seen as like two-dimensional objects to be consumed a lot of the time as well so there's a similarity there. Um, I guess it's kind of interesting sort of uh, juxtaposing the material culture of of hip-hop music and uh, of the mainstream culture in some ways in the Buddhist culture. I once wrote a rap um, about Gil, and it was like, it was about the car he drove. It was called, I push an Audi, I'm in Samadhi. And it's just, like, ridiculous to think about that because it's, like, a Buddhist teacher would never brag about, like, how much money they make from a Dharma talk. We've talked about this before, you know. Um, and it, But it's seemingly acceptable to, you know, talk about these things in a certain way and certain elements of our media and our culture. Mm. Um, but at the same time, like you mentioned, there is that trap of, like, making money an enemy you know, like, which can can happen in spiritual practice to be against something, whereas really, like, to me, it's like, you, you talked about, it's like energy, it's chi, it's like there's something spiritual about it in a way, and, like, if I, I could see it, you know, as something that's not inherently good or bad, like you talked about. So I think the other thing, too, that I was thinking about is just, like, how not normative it is to talk about money in the social context that I'm in, like when people talk about how much they make or whatever. And I think part of that is, you know, whatever social norms, but also just like the privilege that I have that the vast majority of people I'm interacting with on a daily basis do not have trouble making ends meet. And so like when there is that, like it's sort of like foreign to me in a way, like that stress that comes from, you know, that financial insecurity. So 
that's like it's part of that like privilege like like doing this whole spiritual whatever anti-materialistic whatever like a lot of that is like a privilege that i have because you know i don't have financial insecurity in that way so it's like sort of like a first world problem to have i guess but it is a problem you know so yeah thank you yeah thank you thank you i mean you're you're bringing up uh, some really good um directions to 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 explore with all of this and it's it's one of the things that we didn't talk so much about privilege class um that even though a place like IMC and IRC, our retreat center, you know, are freely offered, so there's, there's not a barrier in terms of um, cost to come here. Um, it's also, um, it, it, the, the barrier is more like time, you know, and if someone who um, can't take time off work then it's very hard to develop a retreat practice if you know if if the the model is going away for a week or weeks at a time um there you know so so you know there's 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 a lot there but you know thank you maybe maybe one two and then yeah go ahead yeah um I think it's, uh, it's interesting. When I was watching the Super Bowl <laughs> the other day, I I had the same thought. Of, like with the shoes, so much suffering, and I've been doing this practice about um, like when I turn to television. I Chris uh, was talking about this, but that you're watching my mind want to be emotionally manipulated. That's there's this need or this craving to turn on the television, so I have this. I can go into this world and why it's happening to try to see when it's happening how it's happening what's happening and the same thing with spending i guess if you're if you're interacting with a purchase consumption kind of within the model that we have in a democracy a capitalist democracy when you're interacting with that model and going to to go buy something trying to see what what is happening in your mind when you're doing that and so maybe not make it a bad thing per se, but to notice what is causing you to go and go in that direction. And a lot of times it's this distraction and then it's how you relate to yourself is getting lost in Mm. that mindless action. And for me, around television has been so fascinating because I'm not a shopper. It's not where my... But Mm -hmm. when I see... And I don't watch a lot of television, but when I notice I'm doing it. It is so dramatic. I can feel all of the the things, the weight behind that. The It's fascinating. Anyway, oh, great, thank you for great. your time. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I think one extended topic that would be interesting is inequity and how to be with that and respond to it and all that. Um, but one in the consuming area, one area that I've been confused about recently is, you know, there can be the philosophy of, well, if I don't need it, don't buy it, right? Mm-hmm. Very simple. Um, and yet there's this gray area as things are wearing out. Like there's this whole, you know, the Zen, and also the Zen approach, but also this inner 
wish in some ways to have my outward environment match my inner environment when it's spacious and the beauty and the love and and sometimes as things decay (laughs) or even given the certain state of my environment that maybe wasn't created out of that space or has its limitations then there's this then I have this struggle sometimes like okay this thing is working fine but it looks horrible (laughs) it's not dangerous it's not causing any health problems but um, how do I discern about that kind of right now since I don't like to shop and I'm so busy I just forget about it (laughs) and but, but it's a struggle. I think we how yeah. to how to reach that balance. What's the discernment there? Yeah, yeah. No, thank you. I mean, I think, I think, um, I think we would have a problem if everyone stopped shopping all at the same time. You know, I mean, it keeps a lot of people employed, and it keeps a lot of people in it. And you know, there's a way that in improving our environment or our life or I was just thinking of like, you know, if you do a landscaping project or something, that supports people in our community. That support you know, I mean there's a whole so that's part of the way that things flow. Um my my feeling around, you know, um anytime there's a, a behavior that starts to feel compulsive, you know, whether it's, you know, compulsively uh checking my phone compulsively eating, compulsively shopping. It's, it's a great reminder that that exact impulse and that exact behavior can be a mindfulness bell, can, be, can remind us, you know, just to check in. And what does it feel like in the body when I'm about to buy another thing from Amazon or whatever, or... And just take a moment to breathe and to check in and, you know, do I still want to do this? And maybe, and maybe the answer is 80% of the time, yeah. But maybe there's some time when it's like, oh, I'm going to wait on this. or I'm going to th- think about this a little more. Actually, I don't, why am I even on this site? I don't need, you know, whatever it is, you know. Um, that just um, in the same way that when we spend money or... Um, you know, in a way that feels like it's enhancing the goodness of things to really let that sink in and reverberate. And okay, when you know, give a donation to something. Do we just kind of throw it in the bin or in the box, or do we, you know, do we really think like, oh, good, I, I hope this, you know, um, I'm so grateful. I hope this, this, uh, you know, this goodness multiplies, or just something that you know lets that goodness register for us um, in the same way when, when, we're, when we're spending money in a, in a sort of um, maybe more compulsive way, br- bringing more mindfulness to that and to the body. What does it feel like? Sorry, maybe last, last comment. Yeah. All right. um, two things you said made so much sense for me. I think about money in a very, very personal uh, sense. It's how I value it, and um, and in my rational mind, I would make sure that I have money just in case money somewhere. But if I make an expense or my partner spends too much money, fear ri- uh, rises up because I feel like, okay, what will I do if there's not enough money? 
and um and it just reminded me um back in the day when I first met my partner I was so focused on paying my credit card debts I didn't have a lot but that was my pretty much only focus I didn't want to have anything uh that I had to worry in the back of my mind and I met him and we went out to this expensive restaurant and I was like okay I guess I know I knew that back then he didn't have a lot of money but he was just spending and I said how much it will cost he just said it's just cost a plastic because he was just putting <laughs> on his card but then I started shifting the way I valued okay I'm living my life because I'm here to live I'm not here to pay debt and debt will accumulate as I live my life but that cannot be the focus of my life then it came to what I am practicing every day am i practicing oh i need to fit in this crowd by spending a lot of money or i need to make sure that i have a luxurious uh furniture in my home or i need to spend my money to feel equal to this uh group of intellectual people or what's the purpose so that actually mm-hmm. brings a lot more awareness of where's my mind right now why am i feeling the need to spend this money to fit in where and I just wanted to share uh, yeah, that great, one. Great. Thank you very much. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for uh, listening and, and joining this uh, exploration about um, sort of like wi- wise relationship to money. And, you know, it's, I think it's not, it's not that money is good or bad, um, but can we come into a relationship with money that uh, that supports what we care about most deeply and supports our own inner happiness and our inner freedom? And um, and I think for many of us, it's an ongoing. It's going to be an ongoing exploration. If you don't have a lot of money, you have the problem of not having a lot of money. If you have a lot of money, you have the problem of having a lot of money. Everybody has problems with money. It seems. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, um, but, but the, if there's anything to take away from it, it's that um, let's include this in our practice. Let's include this in mindfulness, that it's not something outside of, um, our, you know, of, our, of our hearts, of our life. It's something really worth, worth, worth looking at and understanding. Um, how, how, how am I with these questions. So thank you very much.